Uh, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure why you clapped about that, but, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> We're going to start a new series today, The Work of the Holy Spirit, and there's a whole bunch of stuff the Holy Spirit does, and it's, it's nice to know what His job is, because sometimes we have a tendency to try and do His job for Him. And how does that normally work out for us when we do that? Yeah, not, not well. Would you stand with me? We're going to read a passage from John chapter 16. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is good for you good, that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would quicken us, Holy Spirit, that you would make us alive, because if we only hear with our fleshly ears, we will get nothing. But open our eyes, open our hearts, open, open our understanding to receive what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As a, uh, as a kid growing up, pastor's kid in particular in church, uh, I was intimidated by evangelism. Don't know if anybody else has ever felt that way before, but it was, it was very intimidating to think that I needed to go out there and get these people saved. Um, I came across a thing this week that I think is a new method that might work well for us. If you can't read that, it says, it's a shame I couldn't reach you with God's message. Perhaps the deacons will have better luck. And the deacons have their John 3.16 bats waiting around the corner. If only it were that easy. If only we could just go, hey, <laughs> you take care of them. Evangelism, though, is, is not a dirty word at all. Um, what intimidated me and may intimidate some of you, was this question. How many have you won for Christ? And why haven't you won more? The question has worked its way into the uh, evangelical experience and consciousness in our country. And if you wonder what an evangelical is, if, uh, if your primary thought about salvation is have you been born again then you're an evangelical that's essentially what an evangelical is uh, how many of you won to christ and, and you know evangelism explosion the romans road the four spiritual laws the if you died tonight where would you go question there they're all good they're good but i have two issues with them the first issue that I have is, is this matter of, of, of keeping score, the scorecards. Um, decision cards and, and annual reports and all, how, 
have their place but I mean let's, let's be honest and, and decision cards can be okay because I understand there's a power to actually writing down what you intend to do in fact one of the one of the seminal moments in my walk as a disciple of Christ came when I went and visited a friend of mine some of you have heard me share this before um, a Baptist youth pastor I went and listened uh, to him preach and he shared about reading the word and he had all of us sign a decision card as to how much word we were going to read every day and I just I put down a big number and because I felt it and for the next 10 years that's what I did every day because I had signed a card saying that I was going to do it so there, there is power there but you have to also understand that there are people who have signed decision cards and signed decision cards and signed decision cards and signed decision cards and didn't, didn't keep any of those decisions that they signed. And when it comes to reports, <laughs> you know, I filled out some of these church reports. It's fun. Um, I say it's fun. It's funny. It's, it's sad. I don't know what it is. But I'll get together with pastors and they'll go, how's your church doing? And what they mean is, what are the numbers on your annual report? Yeah. And I heard... There was a guy named uh, James Hamill, pastored First Assembly of God in Memphis, Tennessee, and he was sort of the, the George Washington of Assembly of God churches in, in Tennessee. And uh, before he passed away, I, I, I remembered him saying one time, I know what you, some of you guys do on that annual report. When it says how many have been saved, you take little Johnny. Little Johnny got saved in Sunday school. That's one. Little Johnny got <clears throat> saved at VBS, that's two. Little Johnny got saved in the revival that you held, that's three. And little Johnny also has come forward four times on Sunday morning to be saved. That's seven people that have been saved, and it's really only little Johnny. And the reason that we do that is because these numbers are so important to us. Do, do these numbers count? Well, I don't know. I, I, but we've got this cowboy mentality that we got to go out and do it. And we got to put notches in our, in our belt or our gun or something to show how many we've, we've done. And our favorite verse is, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. When it really should be, I can do all things through Christ Jesus strengthens me because guess what I need it I'm weak in fact the context in which Paul wrote that verse is one where he said I've learned the secret of being content in every situation I've learned the secret of being content when I got a lot I've learned the secret of being content when I don't have much I've learned the secret of being content when I when I'm when I'm when I got a full belly and I got a, an empty belly I've learned the secret because I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me but we, you know, we've got this, we've got this frontier mentality that we got, we got to go out and kill something and bring it home for the kingdom. <laughs> you know, and I don't even, I mean, you know, we we count here, but to be honest, I don't know that. I don't know that we've ever accurately counted a Sunday in the 24 years that I've been here. <laughs> Just, but it's approximate, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Say, so, well, we count people because people count. Well, that's sometimes why you count people, you know. Uh, and it worked for Moses, but it didn't work too well for David, if you, if you know your Bible. It depends on whether or not God told you to do something. So I have a problem with the scorecard, and I also have a problem with the focus. 
The if you died tonight question, where would you go, is, can be useful, but it's not one size fits all, guys. You know, that's not the right question to ask some people. The right question to ask some people is, how's your life doing? Not if you died tonight, but what if you got to live tomorrow? Is that, are you cool with that? You, you, are, you, are you okay with how it's going right now? <laughs> I, I, and, and the focus becomes more on, you know, I'm, I'm winning people to Christ and and so, and if I'm not winning people to Christ and I'm not bearing fruit, well, that puts the focus on me. And guess what? That's not where it belongs when it comes to talking about salvation or evangelism. I submit to you that it's possible to collect a whole fistful of uh, decision cards and, and not be bearing fruit for the kingdom. And it's also possible to never see a single one and, and, be, and be bearing much fruit. The, the question isn't, do I think I'm bearing fruit? The question is, does God think? I'm bearing fruit. That, that's, that's the important thing. This is not a sermon to discourage or downplay the need to share the gospel. In fact, it's, it's just the opposite. I want to set you free to share the gospel. Important distinction here. I mean, it may seem like it's just kind of a little somatic thing. No, it's a very important distinction here. It is not your job to bring people to Christ, but to simply share Christ with people. There's a big difference in those two mindsets. One of those mindsets brings bondage. One of those mindsets brings freedom. And, and, and what I'd like to do is adjust our mindset, uh, adjust our thinking here. Look at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Verses 18 through 20 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This great commission, first of all, is based on the fact that Jesus has the authority and Jesus is with us, so the focus is on Jesus. And not only that, I mean, he tells us to make disciples. You kind of go, well, he said, you know, he's, he's saying make disciples. You can't make a disciple of somebody who hadn't already chosen to follow. It's not your job to make people follow. Now, we're supposed to make disciples once they decide to follow. Show them how to, how to follow Christ. But it's not our job to, to make them follow. In fact, I, actually, I like the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15 better because it's simpler and I'm simple. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's what it says. It doesn't say go and convince them that the gospel is true. It doesn't say to go and persuade them. And I know that there's a, a parable about persuading, but, but it doesn't say you go and persuade them. It doesn't say go and force them into, into getting saved. You are getting saved today. It doesn't say to go and manipulate them because God is not a manipulator. That's not the way. That God doesn't want games. He doesn't want contrived uh, responses. He doesn't want contrived numbers. He wants reality. It says just go and preach the gospel. That, 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 that's, all it, that's all it says. Whose job is it to bring them to Christ? Well, now you see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
It's a very important verse here that you've probably read before, but you may have just blitzed right past it because I know for years I did. And then I stopped and really read it and went, oh. It's in John chapter 6. And one of the reasons is, is, is it almost seems out of context because he's talking about the bread that came down out of heaven and, and all this. It's not necessarily an evangelistic passage, but Jesus says in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoa. That means that I can't just go, I think I'm going to go to God. If you think I'm going to go to God, guess what? God has been after you. He, he has, he has he's put the hound of heaven on your trail. He's been persistent. He's been consistent. He has called you. He has drawn you. And not just you, me and everybody else who comes to him. And, you know, and that, that gives rise to some questions. You know, it's kind of like, well, does that mean that those who aren't coming, that he didn't draw them? Or does that, what, you know, is, is it just all about his choice and nothing about our choice? The theology behind salvation is very complicated. It is very complex to the point of being inscrutable. Who really understands the interaction between my free will and, and his sovereignty? I mean, who... I don't understand it, and you know what? You don't either. And neither does a whole bunch of other people who've written books about it. I don't understand it. Fortunately, while the theology is complex, the mechanics of salvation are childlike simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Jesus said, just as Moses raised up the, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever looks to him will be saved. That's it. I mean, <laughs> imagine you're, you're an Israelite and you've been bitten by a snake and you're dying. And Moses comes along and, and, and you go, I need to be healed. And, and he says, yes, you do need to be healed. Look at that snake. No co-payments, no deductibles, no hospital stays. Just look, and you'll be healed. What can be more simple than that? And so the theology behind salvation is, is, is a very complex thing. Yes, indeed, but the, but the mechanics are extremely simple. And, and one thing is clear. When a person comes to God... It's because he chose them, he pursued them, he drew them. The Holy Spirit is the agent in the transaction. He's the one who makes it happen. Corinthians 12, 13, 1 Corinthians says, We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. The only way you get into the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit puts you there. A long time ago, I put, a, put aside the questions about about the unsaved, you know, what about the unsaved? What about those who've never heard? When I was in my late teens, boy, I mean, I rode that horse because I, and, and, and really in all honesty, I, I, the, I think the main reason that I rode that horse right out of the church was because I wanted to go do some sinning 
but you know, I, but it was a legitimate question. I was going, you know, what about these people who've never heard about the gospel? I mean, the way that I'm hearing it, you know, the, that, that just can't be right. That just doesn't sound right, doesn't feel right. And people would try to answer my question. And that only made it worse. Until one day, I finally realized, okay, what I need to do is i got to take this question and all these questions and that person and the people before Jesus came and the people who never heard the name of Jesus, i got to take that, i got to put it all in this box, and i got to take it and give it to God and go, here, that's yours. And I trust you. Will not the, the judge of all the universe do what is right? Yes, he will. That, that, that's totally his. You see, the reason, but, but you say, well, but we, we support missions. We, we support outreach. We encourage people to share the God. Yes, we do. Let me tell you why I support missions, why I support evangelistic outreach, and why I encourage people to share the gospel. It's not because there's a lost and dying world out there. It's not because I want to win souls to Christ. I mean, now, hear me out, because this is sounding pretty weird right now. That's not the reason why I support those things. I support those things and do them because he said to. That's the motive. That's the whole reason. He said do it. God is not looking for people who can explain the complex stuff. God is looking for people who will do the simple stuff they understand. And if, and if, he, if he tells you something and you do it as simple as it may be, uh, if you need to know the complex stuff, he'll reveal it to you because that's the only way you're going to get it anyway. You can't get there through the flesh. You can only get there through revelation. So he'll have to give it to you and he ain't going to give it. Did I say ain't? Yeah, I did. So you know I mean it. Uh, he, and he ain't going to give it to anybody who's not obedient with what they already know. Ooh, that was, that, was, that was profound. I should have put that on a slide. Put it up there. <laughs> okay, the passage that we read. Let's actually look at that. John 16, verses 5 through 7 say, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me where are you going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I am going away. That is just one of the most mind-blowing statements in all of Scripture. As I, as I go across that, I mean, when, every time I read that, I, I just kind of go, wow. You're sitting there with the Holy One of God. You're sitting there with, with Jesus, the Christ. You're, you're sitting there with God incarnate, the Word made flesh. The, from the fullness of His grace, we've all received one blessing after another. He's, he's right there, and He's saying, it's going to be better for you for me to not be here. Because if I stay here, the, the counselor won't come. But if I leave, I'll ask the Father, and, and He'll send him. That counselor must be a pretty important guy. Must be a very important guy. And then, he, and then the second half is really where we're going to spend a little time here. When he comes, this is part of his work, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because 
men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Three things the Holy Spirit does in regards to this business of evangelism. He convicts the world of guilt in regard to sin. Newsflash, you're going to like this. It is not our job to make people feel guilty of sin. <laughs> Boy, that feels good. You know, as the church, we have a tendency sometimes to feel like it's our job to do that. Uh, you know, now that I am saved, now that I am whole, holy, righteous, and perfect in all of my ways, I can point out to others where they are wrong. You know, and that's why the world loves us so much. <laughs> you know, oh boy, here comes another one. Maybe they'll tell me what I'm doing wrong. I really hope they do. Yeah. And, and if it's not the world, at least you can tell the people you live with what they're doing wrong. Not our job. And it's not a matter of, you know, shirking our responsibility. You know, it's not a matter of going, well, I, you know, I, I, just, I just don't want to do that because it makes me feel bad. No. I, it's, I don't want to do it because I'll mess it up. If your car is broken... If your car needs some, some attention, unless it needs gas in the tank and a tire change, you don't want me messing with it. Because that's all I know how to do. Eh, I can change a wiper blade. But they'll do that for free at these places. Anyway. Yeah. You don't want me keeping the electrical grid up for Middle Tennessee Electric. Keith, Keith Cole can do that. If I do it, you, you're all, you have no power. And it will not come back because I don't know anything about how to do that. See, not my job. And when it comes to, when it comes to making people feel guilty of sin, the big, one of the big problems is that if I make you feel guilty of sin, you have every right to turn around at me and go, but you do you do the same stuff, or you actually do worse stuff. Okay. Verna Tompkins is one of the uh, four greatest women preachers in the United States. Um, the other three being uh, uh, Joyce Meyer and Beth Moore and Barbie Laughlin. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, Iverna was, I heard her sharing one time, and she had pastored a church for a while. And she was sharing about this time, she was, there was this lady who had come to their church, and the lady was, I don't know what, she, I don't know what she was, but nobody liked her. And nobody, she was just, she had problems. She, you know, and she was the only one there who had any problems, so nobody liked her. And, uh, <laughs> but, but, but she had problems, she had issues, and, uh, Iverna said she was sitting up on the platform one day and she saw that lady and the Lord started speaking to her. And the Lord said, you see that lady? Iverna said, yeah, I do. And, and the Lord said, 
that lady's got problems. And I've heard, you're telling me she's got problems. Let me tell you about the problems that lady's got. And, uh, and God said, I, I really need to deal with her. I, I need to bring some affliction on her. Oh, yes, God. But please do. Uh, I, I think that's exactly what she needs. And then the Lord spoke to her and said, but I can't do it. Because I brought her here thinking that you guys would love her and encourage her and support her enough that I could afflict her. But you've been afflicting her so much that I'm having to encourage and support her. Yeah, I, it was Ivern. I was just, it's a good story. But it's, it's the, that's the principle behind it. That's what it is. Here's, a, here's an important passage in 2 Corinthians 7.10, some of you know it, some of you don't. If you don't, you need to know this passage. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Have you ever heard anybody say, God can't forgive all the stuff I've done? I, I'm too bad, I'm too far gone. Now, how did they... How did they come to that conclusion it wasn't the Holy Spirit who brought them to that conclusion you know and it may I mean they may have never even seen a Christian before so it might not have been any Christians but you know somewhere along the line there were probably some people letting them know just how bad they were and you know and, and add to that the devil talking to them on the inside about how bad they are and the next thing you know well, God can't the cross isn't strong enough for me. The blood of Christ isn't strong enough to cover my sin. Because flesh can only give birth to flesh. And so when in the flesh guilt is put on somebody, it brings death. But when the Spirit comes in and bring that, brings that conviction, it brings repentance. It leads to salvation. It's, it's, it's His job. Godly sorrow, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, leads to salvation. What could be more clear? He also convicts the world in regard to righteousness because Jesus is the righteous one. Salvation can only come about through faith in Jesus Christ. Do we all know that? I mean, okay, good. Uh, can only come about through faith in Jesus Christ. And people can only get saved if they understand he's the son of god he, he's the lamb of god he's the savior of the world i i believe in him i mean that that's the way that it happens right okay can you make anybody believe that who doesn't know it i mean can you can you come up to somebody and go i'm going to prove to you that jesus is the son of god uh, but we're going to argue until you are convinced you know, or we're going we're gonna to fight until you are convinced. Or you know what? No, you can't do that. that. That is not something that can be done in the natural at all. The only way it can be done is if the Holy Spirit comes in and touches somebody's heart. Because you can, you, can, you can bring all your arguments, you can bring all of your, your fine reasonings to, to bear on a situation, and it's just nothing. And the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, and all of a sudden they go, oh, Jesus is the Son of God. Wow, 
Why doesn't everybody know this? It's the Holy Spirit. He, he is the, he's the only one who can make, that, can make that happen. And then he also convicts the world in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You ever heard the, uh, the statement, the slogan, or maybe you've read it on a T-shirt or something? Good girls go to heaven, bad girls go anywhere they want. You ever heard that one? Okay, no. Some of you haven't, some of you have. Let's take a vote. How many of you actually believe it's a statement? How many of you think it's in the Bible? <laughs> it's not. It isn't. Okay. <laughs> just, te just testing. If you don't help me here, you're, you're going to get hungry before I finish. Uh, <laughs> How about this one? Nice guys finish last. Oh, okay. So we know the one about the guys. <laughs> and and why, why would anybody even come up with statements like that? Well, maybe because if you look at the world, that's exactly what it looks like. If all you're looking at is the way the world works, that's exactly what it, exactly what it looks like. This last week, there was an, a scandal of unimaginable proportions that broke in, uh, in England, and it was called the LIBOR scandal. How, how many of you have any clue what I'm talking about? Yeah, about... Six of you, yeah. Uh, it only involves the theft of several trillion dollars, uh, but you won't hear much about it because nobody's going to jail over it because all the people who stole the money are rich people who have a lot of money. Uh, but basically what it is, LIBOR is, is the rate that, that banks exchange um, lending rates with one another, and all other rates are based on the LIBOR. You, uh, you know, what you pay for your home mortgage, what you pay for a car loan, what you pay in credit cards. I mean, what you get back in your, in your savings interest or your CDs or anything like that. All of that is based on LIBOR. And the, what, what has come to light, what has been discovered, is that uh, for years, maybe, maybe decades, the LIBOR has not been a legitimately bid rate but it's been one that's been rigged that the big banks have just kind of gotten together and decided oh ooh, this will work better for us today and this will work better for us tomorrow and it's supposed to be a, a, a free and open bid thing and like I say it uh, the uh, but that's how you get ahead in the world in fact apparently one of the the, uh, the jokes among uh, the big banks is that it's not called the LIBOR rate it's called the LIMOR rate because that's how you get ahead in the world. That's how it works. And so when you come to somebody in the world and you say, you know, judgment day's coming, they have every reason to look at you and go, <laughs> really? When's that going to happen? I sure don't see it happening. And only the Holy Spirit 
can bring revelation of that. Over in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, what it says is they're walking around in a fog. You know, have you ever talked to somebody and, and they have seen miracles? And they've even said, you know, if this happens, then I'll believe. And, you know, and you, and you talk to them and they're in total agreement about everything that you say. And then it comes to, well, do you believe in Christ? And it's, can't see it. Just can't see it. When you're dealing with somebody like that, the best way to pray for them is, God send the Holy Spirit to lift that fog earlier in, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul was talking about where, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, the fog is lifted. Now the Lord is the Spirit whose job it is to convict the world. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Boy, there must be a, there's a sermon in that one. And so the Holy Spirit has to come and convict the world convince the world that they're guilty of sin jesus is the righteous one judgment is a sure thing it will happen you can't do it since winning the lost is the job of the holy spirit i don't have to feel like a failure because i don't have enough notches on my spiritual gun belt my job is simply to share the gospel. It's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, some of you are familiar with him. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. You can tell by the date of his death that he uh, died toward the end of World War II. He was, uh, uh, he was in a German prison camp and, uh, because he was one of the ones who really was willing to stand up to Hitler and go, uh-uh, this is, this, this is wrong, and even worked for Hitler's overthrow. And um, the last several weeks of his life, he was in, a, he was in a, a bus that basically contained a lot of political prisoners from uh, the, the German prison camp that he had been in, and they were essentially driving all over the country trying to avoid the Allied armies that were coming in and liberating. And, um, and just days before the war ended, they, uh, they, they hung Bonhoeffer. He, he was the only one in the, in the group that they, that they actually killed. And the testimony of the, of the other people who were in his group uh, is really incredible because what they have to say about him is that during those days under those extremely trying circumstances, apparently of everybody in the group, he, was, he, he just had this incredible spirit of grace, this incredible spirit of joy. This incredible spirit of, 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 uh, of Christ-likeness about him. And I want to read to you something that he wrote in keeping with this theme this morning that has to do with how we look at sharing the gospel. This is out of his book, Ethics. In a world where success is the measure and justification of all things. Now, this is a whole paragraph. And it's got several complex sentences in it. So you're going to you're gonna have to pay attention, but it's worth listening to. And that first sentence, that first phrase right there is powerful enough. In a world where success is the measure and justification of all things, the figure of him who was sentenced and crucified remains a stranger 
and is at best an object of pity. The world will allow itself to be subdued only by success. It is not ideas or opinions which decide but deeds. Success alone justifies wrongs done. You can get away with stealing trillions if you start out with billions. The figure of the crucified invalidates all thought which takes success for its standard. God was not interested in success, but in obedience. If one obeyed God and was willing to suffer defeat in whatever else came one's way, God would show a kind of success that the world couldn't imagine. But this was the narrow path, and few would take it. The narrow path isn't about wearing funny-looking clothes and not going certain places and showing up the right places. The, the narrow path is about being willing to be obedient, whether you're successful or not. Whether the world ever looks at you and goes, wow, that was great. Bearing the shame of Christ isn't about how you look or dress or the way you talk, but it's about being willing to just share how wonderful he is, even though somebody may look at you and go, you are so crazy. Do you know just how stupid you really are? You go, I love him. I love him. He's changed my life. Paul says, one plants, one waters, another reaps. We have a tendency to focus so much on the reaping that we don't understand that there is no reaping unless there's been planting and watering. And, it, and they're rarely done by the same person. I, I grew up when I, in a church culture where you know guys would come in and preach and, and they'd give an altar call and that was great and people would come to the altar and, and we would go, wow, what a wonderful sermon. He's able to win so many people to Christ. When I became a pastor, I realized, Sir, I, sermons don't win people to Christ. People win people to Christ. Sermons just provide an opportunity. Somebody, if somebody comes and gets saved after a sermon that I preach, it wasn't because of the sermon I preached. It's because of the life somebody lived. It's because of the prayers that somebody prayed. It, 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 it's because of the kindness that somebody showed that was extended to them. All, all those go together, and, and, and Jesus said that the sower and the reaper are to be glad together. He says, you, I've sent you to reap stuff you haven't even worked for. God knows who worked for it. God knows where the credit is supposed to go. And so, your assignment, your job, should you choose to accept it, <laughs> is simply to share the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I used to be, I used to think that it was me having to make people feel like they were sinners. I used to feel like that I had to, I had to have responses or there was something wrong with the, what I was doing, but I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's not my power, it's the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for in the gospel a righteousness from God, a righteousness that can only be revealed and, and convicted to the world by the Holy Ghost, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, and boy, isn't it fun. It really is. 
Really is. The gospel itself is the power. It's not your eloquence. It's not your arguments. You don't have to add anything to it. You just share it. It is the power. Hey, would you like to live forever? Duh. The gospel itself is the power. The spirit is the agent. And you're just the carrier. Just get to bring it along. Would you stand with me? <laughs> ah. You know, the, 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 the devil's such a crafty guy because there's probably some people out there thinking, boy, I feel free now. I can go share the gospel. And there's probably others out there thinking, why do you have to talk about that? Now I need to go share the gospel. I'm feeling guilty. <laughs> Uh, just be free he wants you to be free it is for freedom Christ has set you free those who are going to uh, pray with people if they would come down front here today if you need prayer for something you come you come it's a fallen world stuff happens you, if you need prayer physical healing financial relationships emotional whatever you come if you don't know Christ as your savior Hey, you come. I mean, some people might go, well, that wasn't a salvation message. Yes, it was. Weren't you listening? Anything's a salvation message if the Holy Ghost is speaking to you. you don't, we're not inviting you to come and beat the world up. We're inviting you to come and share in life. So if anything you need to come for, you come. We're going to worship for a few moments. We'll, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you to... Take this opportunity.
Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, set you free from fear, from intimidation, from feelings of failure. May He empower you and strengthen you to do the job that He has assigned to you. For His grace is sufficient. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.